are you willing to be uncomfortable? If you are not, you will live a certain kind of life and there might be a lot of fear associated with that life. And then on your deathbed, the risk is there may be a lot of regret. But if you are willing, I am willing to be uncomfortable. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. Today we have David Wood with us. The title is an unusual title, What's Your Mouse in the Room? Leading with more humility, vulnerability, and intimacy. This all relates to his new book he's working on called The Mouse in the Room. The idea, we always talk about the elephant in the room. Well, if there's an elephant in the room, there's gotta be mice in the room. And this is all about being authentic and vulnerable, starting with yourself to get really honest about what are those mice What are the ways they're getting in your way? We're going to talk about vulnerability, authenticity, humility, even this concept of intimacy and leadership. And David's going to talk about his concept that simply by being 30% more courageous in your life and your leadership, you can exponentially grow your life experience and your business. That's right. 30% more courageous. And he's going to talk about what it looks like to be more courageous. And he's going to ask you this one challenging question. What's one thing you're willing to do in the direction of your dreams? Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so thrilled to be back here today for what I know is going to be a fun conversation. You'll know that by the time we're done with our introduction for David Wood, who is the founder of an organization called Focus.CEO. He is a former consulting actuary. And if you don't know about that, we're going to find out more. This got me intrigued already. We've got the actuary life coach. Imagine that. Uh, He worked extensively with Fortune 100 companies. He built the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for life coaching and has coached thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. As well as helping others, David's no stranger to overcoming challenges and discomfort and having survived a full collapse of his paraglider and a fractured Mm. spine, witnessing the death of his sister at age seven, Mm. anxiety, depression, was on a national gong show. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And he coaches high-performing business owners to double revenue and their time off by focusing on lessons, notice this phrase, and being 30% more courageous in their business. So welcome, David. Thank you very much. Great to have you. So David, give everybody a little more taste of that backstory. Yeah, the short version is uh, I thought I had a normal childhood growing up in an Australian country town. But because I had some trauma as a a kid, my little sister died and I was there and I witnessed it happening. Apparently what happened is I shut down my emotional side and I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know until I was in my twenties going to therapy, but I got really silver lining is I got really good at systems and numbers and business and money. I got paid to go to college. I got, uh, 
at age 24, I was consulting to Sony Music and Ford and Exxon on Park Avenue. So it was really quite the success story. And then I found out when someone said, why don't you do this personal growth program, which I decided to do, even though they smiled way too much and they all wore name tags. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'll get in and I'll get out. But they helped me see, I knew nothing about intimacy. Mm. I knew nothing about vulnerability, authenticity, and by extension, true influence and leadership. Mm. So I've spent the last 20, 25 years sitting with gurus and navel gazing and doing things that would freak any sane person out to discover what being human really means. So now I think I'm a bit of an unusual coach. I, I work with business owners, but I say, if all you want is more money, you should go to someone else. There are loads of people who'll do that for you. Yeah. I'll work with you on the business, but we're also going to work on you and how you're showing up in the world and, and how you're loving life or not loving life. So that's, that's my backstory. Yeah. We, we, we call it, you can't grow a business bigger than you. And as you grow things around you grow as well. Right. It's so true. Like I heard that back when I was starting up and they said, 80% of business coaching is personal coaching <laughs> and, and to grow your business, grow yourself and blah, 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 blah. Like I heard all that, but now that I've spent 25 years growing myself, I look around at my friends. I look at my colleagues. I look at the people I get to hang out with and call my friends. I couldn't, I couldn't do this. I wouldn't be on the Transformational Leadership Council with Jack Canfield and John Gray, if I hadn't grown myself, they wouldn't yeah. be, they wouldn't even talk to me. Right. So yeah, look, you, you don't grow yourself just to grow your business, but if you happen to be interested in how do I be more charismatic? How do I be more honest? How do I be more authentic, more available? People want to be around you more. They gravitate. They want to introduce you to other podcast hosts. They want to work with you. They want to say, would you come and speak at our event? You got, you got great energy. So why not? Why not work on yourself as well as your business? And then um, you have a better time in life and your business will probably do better as well. Absolutely. Well, David, you've certainly come to the right place to have a conversation <laughs> about those topics. Uh, so the one I want to start with in this is Actually, I'm going to go back first. I want to I jump. I want to jump into it, but I want to touch on a couple of things in your story. Um, you've you've been through a lot, um, and I think you use the word a lot of trauma, legitimate trauma. I mean, that everybody would label as trauma. Um, how much has that trauma influenced your growth today? I can't tell you because I don't know what I would be like without having it. <laughs> but what I imagine is that growing up with such a left brain orientation and I'm a systems geek, I'm a Virgo, I'm a six on the Enneagram. Uh, when they did my, my astrology, I had eight out of 12 moons in Virgo. And the woman's like, that's a lot of Virgo. That's a lot of like, you know, systems and numbers and being anal retentive and, and all of that. I think growing up like that and not having access to my emotions and then feeling all the trouble that was causing, like I fell in love with a woman and I broke up with her eight times, which was excruciating for her and her family and friends and not very good for me either. And then, um, so as I started to open in therapy, 
I was like, oh my God, this is the Holy Grail. Look what's happening. I'm feeling, I got feelings. <laughs> and so I think personal, one teacher said to me, you've waited your whole life for this. You've waited your whole life for this level of truth. And I'm just like tears streaming down my face. Nice. So it's possible that if I'd grown up with access to that, I wouldn't have been so gung-ho mm. when I discovered it. And then the other piece, I've forgotten. I did have a second answer and it's gone. It'll it was really good. To, you know that, David. Uh, yeah. So let me ask you this question. You used a word that doesn't get brought up much in business or leadership, in my judgment. You talked about authenticity and vulnerability. Those terms are becoming more mainstream, but the word and the concept was intimacy. And I'm guessing a lot of people would hear that and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We have to keep that out of business. Talk about what you mean when you say intimacy, when it relates to leadership. I would love to. And I've just remembered my answer. Can I, can I go back to that? That's why you have a microphone. Awesome. So the other, the other benefit of all of the stuff I went through, and it's hard, it's hard to call it a benefit, but I went into deep anxiety. Like I'd be having a shower and just wondering how I was going to survive the next five minutes. Hmm. I'd be, um, I decided not to do medication for a year. I just wanted to do everything naturally. And I'd be, I'd be getting like 20 minutes of sleep or three hours of broken oh. sleep where I'd wake up with adrenaline shooting through my body. And then eventually that turned into depression where I was exhausted. Mm. Nothing looked good. Nothing looked like a good option. And I, I didn't know, I measured it in terms of how long would I put up with this before I ended it. And if I ever meet someone in dark depression, I say, what's your number? How long? Mm -hmm. How long would you put up with this before you take it? So, and for me, I was like, I could probably do a year of this. So it was never as bad as some, some people. But I think what that gave me is some humility. And I, I wish I didn't have it. I wish I didn't have that humility and that I wish I was just perfect in many ways. But it means. I think some people can relate to me and I'm not just this success story of, oh, well, you had everything handed to you and everything was just totally fine and you never struggle. Oh, fuck no. Can I swear? I don't know if I can swear. You yep. can edit it out if you want, but fuck no. I sometimes getting through a day is a win for me. So it's given me some humility and some street cred to be able to coach people going through pretty much anything because I've been to those dark places and they get that I get it. And, you know, I wouldn't want to ever lose that. Yeah. yeah. So that's the other part of the answer to how that childhood has impacted David Wood today. I am not someone who's got everything together. I'm good at seeing the puzzle pieces and helping you. And uh, I've done some amazing things in my life. And sometimes it's really, 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 really hard. Mm. Well, I love that fact because I do think it's true that a lot of people choose to see people for where they are and what they've achieved and to label on them that they must have had it easy. I get that regularly. Yeah. People will say, well, that was easy for you because of this. And I'll see, and I usually now I'll say, you have no idea what my story is and you have no idea. I'm happy to share it with you, but you really have no idea if you say that. That's right. And I, I would judge people. I would judge people from my ivory tower. I'd be like, um, well, if you're on antidepressants, then you just haven't done your work. Mm. 
you haven't done your work. You, there's something you haven't addressed yet. You need to do therapy. You need to do spiritual practices. You just, you're just relying on a crutch. And I, I remember not wanting to date a woman because she was on an antidepressant. I'm like, I don't trust that. Well, it took a lot of crashing for, and for me to finally realize you take whatever you can get, which is going to make your life better. Mm. Sometimes, ideally, it's going to be a short-term crutch if you're taking Valium or, or whatever. Ideally, but after like years and years of trying 50 different modalities, I finally have to, had to raise my hands in surrender and say, look, if this makes my life better, I will take medication. I will still do the meditation I will still do the exercise. I still, I got the green smoothie right here packed with mm -hmm. nutrients. I'll work with my therapist. I'll work with a coach. I'll do the Byron Katie work. I'll do yoga. I'll do all of that stuff. Um, and also I started going to some AA meetings because Byron Katie's big on AA meetings. She's like, I went and spent 20 grand to spend a month with her. And every evening they'd pile us in a bus and, and make us go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why? Why are we going to these meetings? She said, it just goes hand in hand with the work we're doing here. And after five days, after five meetings, every single one of us in the bus identified as an addict of some kind. Mm. We didn't before these meetings, but right. we're like, well, whether it's thinking or TV or relationship or sex or sugar or video games or whatever it is, we're like, okay, I'm an addict too. And I saw those people going to those meetings as originally I saw them as weak, you just can't handle your shit. And after those meetings, 30 days of meetings, I'm like, you are the strongest people I've met in my life <laughs> because you're still alive despite what you have to face every day. Yeah. So humility, and maybe this will take us into intimacy now. <laughs> um, now, how do you see the, the connection between humility and intimacy? Yeah. Well, let's find out if, if there is one, I like, if I'm, if I've, if I'm coming from, I've got it all together and I'm, and I'm right. And I'm smarter than you, which is my default place, by the way, I often assume I'm the smartest person in a room and I may be right. I don't know, but that's like my default arrogance. Um, there's definitely a barrier to, to intimacy there. Right. So when I can have humility and say, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. I think it leads to intimacy. Um, when I sat down with Jack Canfield, I think Jack's a good example. I, I love Jack from chicken soup and I call him a friend and I stalked him for five years. I wanted a relationship with Jack. I was so impressed with how he showed up on stage as a speaker and I sat with him and I did not hold anything back. I was sharing how I was falling apart. I was sharing the stuff that was going well. I said, look, I've got a bold request. Would you be willing to write the forward to my book? And to be brutally honest, I've already asked Richard Branson. And if he says, yes, I'll, I'm going to go with him. But would, <laughs> but would you be willing to be a backup? Now, look, you can see how that might not go very well. But Jack just laughed and said, well, you're going alphabetically. I, I understand that, <laughs> which classic, classic Jack. And then one thing led to another. And I told him about the Byron Katie work I was about to do. And he was very interested in that. And then Byron Katie wasn't far from his house. So I reached out to his assistant and said, would Jack be open to lunch? And he wanted to hear about it. I ended up staying with him and his wife, which was like a lifetime uh, highlight for me. 
And I, I got to tell you, if I was not truthful, if I was not revealed, if I was not honest and willing to risk the relationship to just be myself, I can guarantee that would not have happened. Yeah. So I think humility, and now I'm, I feel like we're moving into reveals, revelations, like this is who I am. This is what's happening. This is my true agenda. This is what I want. You know, that didn't feel good to me. Could we change that? This is a way of life. I'm writing a book about it now called The Mouse in the Room, because the elephant is not alone. It's not the we all know about the elephant. You see it, I see it, no one's saying anything. But many creatures in the room are much more subtle. It might be an emotion, a contraction, a desire. If we can start naming these mice artfully, we can be more connected. Mm. That creates intimacy and trust. And then I do believe there are business ramifications. People like you will lose some people, guaranteed. I did a post on Facebook yesterday about what I'm not proud of. And I'm going to lose some people because of that. But other people are going to be, wait, you can say that? (laughs) You can just in in pure dignity, just stand there and say, yeah, I'm not proud of this. And this is what I'm working on. Other people will say, I trust that guy. I want to work with him. So I'm here to say, I think your life will get better as you practice more revealing. There'll be more intimacy. You'll have more influence. And you'll have more leadership. People be willing to trust you. That's what I believe. Well, you, you use that word, I think, twice. I wasn't counting, but I tend to notice the word trust twice in that answer. And I think that's often forgotten because there's a lot of talk about vulnerability and authenticity and the need for it in leadership, but without a lot of connecting the dots to trust. And, you know, I don't think you're going to find a leader that says, yes, I can be a great leader if no one trusts me. We all know that, but I feel like that's actually the scarier topic is trust because that's about whether I'm trusted as opposed to me saying I'm trustworthy. Yeah. I, this is having me think about a good example. I, I, I went to a prison a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes we train the inmates in authentic relating and, um, authenticity and leadership. And the executive director of all Colorado, Colorado prisons took an hour on his Sunday to drive down. And then he sat with us to see what we were doing. And he told a story with these women in the prison. And you can imagine the hierarchy between the executive director of all prisons and an inmate. And he shared a story about how he hugged a coworker and how awkward he felt. And he's like, is this the right thing? Is this okay? Should I be doing this? And it was such a reveal that I was sold on this guy. I was like, I trust you. And I reached out to him later and said, I want to coach you. I want to support you and what you're up to. I was enrolled in him because he was vulnerable. And the women there, I could see their trust in this guy. They're like, oh, he really wants to create change. And he's asking us for help in this change. It was a really great moment. Now, in leadership, you, know, you, you don't take it too far. I'm not saying, I think Brene Brown uses this example. You don't go to the board and say, we're running off a cliff. We're freaking out. I don't know what to do. We're going under. Help. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You do that with your coach and with your close friends. And then you might go and you might find an artful way to say it. Hey, some of you may be scared. I am too in the current environment. We don't have all the answers yet. 
but together we'll, we'll find them. There are ways to do it that don't freak people out. And that's why we're writing the book. So there are artful ways to bring yourself like the true you into any situation. I think the world gets better. And I, I can't imagine the world is going to be worse if people are artfully starting to share more of who they are with the people around them. From your perspective, are there any risks to, to the vulnerability? Oh my God. Yes. By definition, I think vulnerability is, is risky because you could lose something. You could be hurt. I did a, I did a medicine journey, which is usually code for, I took something that's not legal, but this, um, <laughs> but I'm also in Boulder. So some things here are actually legal that they're not, they're not anywhere else, but we did, did a medicine journey and it was hard. I was with good friends and I felt even the next morning, I felt so exposed and seen and raw and I wanted to leave and just go home. That's my pattern. And I didn't. So the risk is maybe they will reject me. Maybe they won't like what they see. And maybe I'll find out that there's yeah. something about me that's not coming across well. And I, I don't want to confront that. But I felt that feel. I could feel the tears in my eyes and how seen I felt and how exposed I was and how I was being welcomed. And I said it out loud. I said, this moment here, this is the highlight of the whole journey for me. It's hard, it's edgy, and I want it. <laughs> so it's not an easy path to be vulnerable. When I posted on Facebook about what I'm proud of and not proud of in 2021, I thought, am I really going to send this? Am I really going to talk about playing video games too much and smoking cannabis and drinking alcohol and watching TV? Um, am I going to do this? I might lose some clients. Yeah. It's wow. risky. It takes guts to live your life. But I figure the right people will hear that and go, yeah, I get that. I resonate. I have, I have parts of myself like that as well. So definitely there are risks. Now, sometimes... In, and in the book, we have a chapter where we say how to decide if it's worth the risk. Hmm. So one factor is how invested I am in this relationship. If I don't really care about this person, I'm not going to see them very often. I'm not going to risk a whole lot to try and repair the relationship. I'll just let it go. But if it's a family member or my boss or a coworker, and I'm going to see them all the time, I'm willing, yeah. to, I'm willing to invest more. And if you could go to jail, because of what you did, you really got to weigh that up. I did something when I was younger that I, I could be prosecuted for. And um, I regret it. And I wish it didn't happen. I can't take it back. And years later, I tracked down the person. And I said, hey, I'm sorry. That was me. I want to confess and I want to make it right. I could have gone to jail. Yeah. I, was, I chose that I was willing to risk that to apologize because that's what felt true and right. But that took me 15 years to get to that point. I don't recommend people go and do that. I'm just saying you weigh it up. What could happen if I tell my partner, I want this in the bedroom? What could happen if I tell my staff, I want to be more revealed, all of us? What could go wrong? Yeah, let's mock it up. I was an actuary. I was the risk analyst. That's what I did for a living. I'm always scanning for threats. What could go wrong? But we equally have to ask, 
what could go right absolutely because the brain will often skip over that what could be good out of this and then am i willing to take that risk if you're not move on if you are you can even say that in the conversation i was hesitant to bring this up because i'm worried you might quit or you might leave me or this might happen and i've decided i'm going to bring it up because I want this good thing to happen. I want us to be more related or more connected or no secrets between us. Mm -hmm. And that lets the person, this is part of artfully naming a mouse. It lets the other person know that you're a bit vulnerable. It's a bit edgy and that you have positive intent. Now, one of the things that you said was, was rather interesting. You were talking about how, when you, when you became more vulnerable and you really felt it, that was something where you wanted to run away and that was your pattern now let's talk about your patterns and when you how did first of all how did you discover your pattern and is are there a set number of different kinds of patterns or do you see that as you know as many as there are different kinds of people i think the latter i can't tell you like the six different kinds of patterns i can tell you that we've identified six different kinds of mice that you might okay. want to share with someone. But how I spot it is often through the lens of my friends or my coaches, or I might be speaking to you and I'll be like, I was talking to, uh, I was on a podcast a couple of days ago about cleaning messes up. And I, and while I was on the phone, this guy came to fix my door and I was annoyed that he was interrupting me during a live stream interview. And he kept ringing the doorbell and I, I wasn't very kind to him. And then as I was speaking on the interview, I realized that guy was here to help me. And, and I was just annoyed at the timing of it. And so I wrote down while I was on the interview, find that guy's number and apologize. So I, I'm lucky that I'm a life coach. So I get to see a lot of things and I often have coaches in my life. I saw it because I was with my friends doing a medicine journey. Our intention was to grow and to learn. And it's very intimate to be with six people and take any kind of a, a medicine. Alcohol is easy. But if you take um, ayahuasca, which can be brutal jungle medicine or um, uh, uh, psilocybin, like mushrooms, LSD, things like that could just change your whole chemistry and have you be quite vulnerable and have you see things. And I saw it after the fact. I was like, I want to leave. I want to go home and sleep in my own bed. Oh, I, so I haven't told this story yet. This is awesome. I wanted to go home and sleep in my own bed because I don't feel safe going to sleep when there are people awake in the house. Part of a hangover for my anxiety days and just not feeling safe in the world. And so I was going to go home at like 2am or 1am. And they said, what if you stayed here? And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to sleep and it's not going to work. And all of them had something to say. And one person said, you can, what, do you, what if you use our shower? We've got a rainforest shower and, and we've got a bedroom for you. And then we can have brunch in the morning. We'll make you breakfast. And then another woman said, and I will come up and I will tuck you in and I will read you a bedtime story. <laughs> I am not kidding. And I said, I'll do it. Good for you. And that's exactly how it went down. And that was one of the biggest healing events mm -hmm. for me for the year that I 
was allowing myself to relax into my community instead of going to isolate and separate. It wasn't easy. And I want to make that point, listeners. It's not easy to be vulnerable. And then the next morning, I still wanted to zip off and go home and lay down. And I stayed with them and was honest. And I shared, this is what's coming up and got to be witnessed and seen. I'm like, this is the path. So I don't have a, a, a simple answer for how you see your patterns, except that I think coaching can help. And sometimes you catch it and say, oh, I do that a lot. The next question is, am I willing to change it? How do I change it? And what's a structure I can create? Yeah. Now, some patterns could be positive and, you know, beneficial, but I guess it's, you know, oftentimes I see maybe we're not aware of things and we need that outside perspective because that's a blind spot. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. So David, something I want to go back to, you talked about the preamble, and I love the preamble. I don't know if I think about it enough. And I rem- when you were telling that story, I remember a conversation I had with my son a number of years ago. We, our relationship, I would say at the time was okay. It had been bad and it was okay. And I really wanted to talk to him about some of the core issues. And I was terrified. And, I, and what I was terrified of is what if I, it gets worse? Because at least now it's okay. But I opened with a preamble and I never thought a lot about it until I just started talking. And I said, hey, look, I'm terrified to talk to you because right now we're okay. We used to be pretty shitty. I really want us to have a great relationship. And I don't think we can have that without me sharing what I'm about to share. But I'm terrified to share this because I'm afraid it's going to go backwards. And at the time, I thought I was kind of hedging, but I'm seeing it was more like a healthy preamble. Oh. Just set it up to let him know where I'm coming from and maybe open him up to hearing me knowing that I'm coming from a place. This is hard. Absolutely. It's a game changer. I feel inspired by hearing what you said. Mice breed. So the first mouse might be, I want to talk to my son about this. Um, another mouse might be, I want to do it because I want to have a better relationship. Then another mouse comes up. Damn, I feel terrified. This could go badly. And I might say it badly. So that's a fourth mouse, right? So one of the things I often help clients do is identify their mice. Like, oh, you've got this, and it sounds like you're worried about this, and you have an intention of this. Go and share all that. And it usually goes so much better if you have a little formula. And uh, I forget the final formula we, we settled on for the book, but it's something like, 
discover what your mice are? Like, how do you really feel about it? What's your intent? What are you afraid of? Like, get clear on that. And we have a little worksheet for it. And then ask permission. I would like to talk about this. This is why this is what I'm worried about. Is now a good time? Are you willing? Huge. Rather than dumping it on someone. Here's how not to do it. Colleague of mine sent me a message once that said, I'm really pissed. We need to talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's the opposite of what we're talking about. What she could have said, wow, notice I've got a lot of charge coming up and I'd love to talk with you about it because I want us to have a really good working relationship. Would you be open to 10 minutes on the phone so we could, you know, just sort this out? That would have been better. So well, yes, that is a great example, David. And, and this is something we've talked about a bit here. I know I talked to myself and I talked to a lot of clients about this and friends. Like I do believe in the power of the, the preamble if the preamble is really vulnerable, but often the preamble is actually a lack of vulnerability. And there's some phrases that I think are very triggering like that one. I'm really angry with you. Can we talk? It's probably not the best way to get encourage it. And the similar one is like me start talking to you, Dave, and say, um, now I don't want you to get angry or don't take this personally, but, and I keep saying, don't say that because as soon as you do, I start thinking you're going to tell me something to make me angry. Yeah. You're about to tell me something very personal. And I keep saying, what's the purpose of that? And usually they'll acknowledge and say, I'm trying to protect myself. So it's a lack of vulnerability. So how can I be vulnerable if I'm going to protect myself? Yeah. Well, setting it up as a me versus you. Setting it up. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a simple, well, there's a simple answer to this. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's a simple answer to this. And that's using ownership language. Mm. So if I say to you, don't get angry, that's not telling you anything about myself. That's not revealing anything. Right. If I say to you, what was the other one you said? You said, don't get angry. And the other don't one was, don't personally. take it personally. Yeah. Right. If I use ownership language instead, it might be something like, I'm hesitant to bring this up because you might have a reaction to it and it, it might make you angry. And uh, if that happens, then okay. But I'd like to try and say this in such an artful way that that doesn't happen. Now I'm letting you know about me. I'm talking about me. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm telling you, I have this concern. Now you can also take it too far. And I like when you start learning about authentic relating and revealing and whatever, I just think it's best to tell as much of the truth as possible. Don't try and finesse it too much. Hey, I want to tell you this. I'm feeling nervous and scared. I'm worried I'm going to mess it up. Uh, Can you give me a couple of minutes to stumble through it? You're right. Something like that is a great thing to do. As you get more into it, you might get more artful and you might not share all of it with it. Maybe they don't need to know all of your ups and downs and your ins and outs. I went and asked, asked a woman out a couple of days ago. Uh, she signed me up to the gym that I joined. And for three months, I thought, she, she seems great. We had a great conversation. should ask her out. And then my mind is like, nah, she's paid to be nice to people. Like, like, you know, you're going to put her in such an awkward position and, you know, and she's, but I, I decided to, um, I just decided I was unwilling to hold back any longer and she could say whatever she wants to say. And I could have normally in the past, I would have said, uh, and this is totally valid. I notice I'm nervous saying this, just 
because they're probably picking it up anyway. The other person can probably tell that there's something's going on for you. So why not have it out? Let's use this as a transition to something I want to make sure we talk about. You talk a lot, you write about, you coach a lot about this 30% more courage. And the way it felt like a transition there, as you said, you'd rather have people tend to be over-revealing because the natural instinct is to protect. And I think that's also true of comfort zones. Like I'm going to typically in my natural state feel way out of my comfort zone because I'm typically trying to be safe and comfortable. So in order for me to know I'm really out of my comfort zone, I've got to go typically, I have to go way out because my pattern is to be safe. And so I think a lot of people say, wow, I'm way out of my comfort zone. And maybe they are, but maybe they're not because of that natural instinct to be safe. So how, does that tie into this idea of air on the side of over revealing, just like air on the side of being overly uncomfortable? I would not say that. And I think the reason is um, I've been called counterphobic. This is one of the reasons I'm so interested in courage is I've spent a lifetime of leaning into my fears. I, I didn't know what the word meant until a psychiatrist said, you're almost counterphobic. You know, you're afraid of heights and yet you're a paraglider pilot. <laughs> you're afraid of abandonment and, and yet you um, have dated in open relationships and polyamory. You're afraid of being judged and you're a motivational speaker. So, I've done that and it's served me and I've learned a lot about how to find courage and how to go beyond the comfort zone, but I've also gone way too far. And I don't want anyone to do that. I, that's why I say 30%. That's where I came up with that number. It's like not 10% more courageous, like push, push yourself to get a little bit out there and be uncomfortable like I was New Year's Eve, like I was asking that woman out, right? That was. That was maybe 30. Okay. New Year's Eve might've been like a hundred percent out of sight, out, out of my comfort zone, but asking her out, that's like 30% out outside. That's a good example. You want to find that sweet spot. We are creatures of comfort and it's gotten worse. I believe over the last 500 years because we've gotten so comfortable. I've got a coffee warmer here to make sure my coffee never goes cold, <laughs> right? I can recline in my chair. I got the heater on down here. My dog's resting against my right foot. It's, it's rude how comfortable most of us can get. And I imagine like 500 years ago, we, had a, we were more robust. You know, we get a, you know, we're using the axe and, and then we, you know, we basically chop a finger off or something. And now it's got to like, got to like stick it back on. I don't know what it was like back then, but I think it's gotten easier. And unfortunately our bubble has gotten smaller and smaller. And like, this is what's okay. If I'm in the, we're in the plane and the chair doesn't go back far enough. We're bitching about it. <laughs> I think it's, it's CK Lewis talks about this. He says, you know, you're trying to send an email and it's slow and you're like, oh, fucking slow. Yeah. He said it's bouncing off a satellite in space <laughs> and we're bitching about it. So we've gotten so comfortable. I think it's good to practice deliberate discomfort. You could take cold showers as a way of just saying, let me teach my system. It's okay to lean into discomfort. Tough conversations, naming mice, scary. You talking to your son deliberate discomfort. Are you willing to be uncomfortable? If you are not, you will live a certain kind of life and there might be a lot of fear associated with that life. 
and then on your deathbed, the risk is there may be a lot of regret. But if you are willing, I am willing to be uncomfortable. Like when I felt that feeling of being exposed and everyone really seeing who I was and tears in my eyes, I'm like, oh, this is, this is tough. I'm willing because I know it's the pathway to good stuff. Don't go 100% out. Don't go 5% out, but 30%. So here's, here's a question I'd like to leave listeners with. If you were 30% more courageous, what might you do over the next 30 days? I'm not asking you to do it. This is just building awareness so you can start to see where your edges are. Would you ask for something more in the bedroom? Is there someone you'd say no to? Is there someone you'd say, you know what? This kind of thing isn't working for me, so I need to change it. Would you ask your boss for more money? Would you call 10 people and ask them to work with you? Call a celebrity and ask them to endorse your product. Just let's build the awareness of where your edges are. And then if you like, circle two or three things. They don't even have to be the hardest things. You could pick the easiest ones and say, all right, I'm going to practice 30% more courage and just see what happens. When you were talking about being discomfort, you know, being uncomfortable, and then you talked about taking the cold showers, it reminded me of a book that somebody had recommended to me called The Flinch. Really good book that actually it it's just a series of exercises to do to push you outside of your comfort zone. It's like one of them is go into your, you know, find a coffee mug and just drop it on the floor and let it let it shatter. And then clean it up. Wow. And you know, it's like. It's just different things, but one of them is, you know, be in the shower from as soon as you turn it on until it gets warm, do that for seven days. And then, you know, so it's, it's interesting book, the flinch and the front cover is just this guy going, you know, this grimace. (laughs) So, well, the, I think the, I think the title is genius and, and the, and I applaud the concept again, we've just gotten so comfortable with comfort. And over time, that can get pretty uncomfortable in that comfort zone. It's like, really? What have I done you? What's going on? I got the same routine every day. I got the same people around me. I got the same business. I got the same job. My life has been about, wait a minute, what would happen if I did a stand-up comedy course and went on a stage and did, did a professional gig? I, three months ago, I said, let's start acting. Let's see what that's about. And someone said, you want to come to an audition? And my first reaction was, hell no, I haven't even done an act. I haven't done a class yet. Why would I do that? But then my brain said, this is what it sounds like when the universe is knocking. So I, I went and auditioned, got cast in the lead playing Dracula in a professional production. So now I'm a paid working actor. Um, and it was all because, the, you know, I did flinch. And I'm like, okay, but I didn't stay in the flinch. I didn't stay in the flinch. You flinch first. And then you're like, all right, let's go and see what's happening. I went and hired a singing teacher two months ago. And she's like, I've got a recital. Would you come and sing with the other students? Oh my God. (laughs) I've done, I've been on stage all my life, but standing on stage, no microphone, just singing the sound of silence by Simon and Garfunkel to 30 people. My legs were shaken for sure. (laughs) And we want to, we want to have a little bit of tremble, not too much. But in fact, that's what I might call it. If I was going to write a book about that, I might call it the tremble. The tremble. <laughs> yeah. Cause the flinch is like, oh, but it's like, you can be a little bit trembly while you're doing it. That's okay. That might clue you that you're in the right spot. 
So, David, to close out this conversation, I have to ask you this question because I know it's one you've been asked before, and I just got to hear the answer. Uh, and this is the question: this is you you say that playing it safe is the most dangerous thing you can do? <laughs> yeah, it can be. Tell everybody why. The risk is regret. Yeah. If you play, when I look back on what I regret in my life, it's often when I didn't find out when I didn't find out, when I didn't ask that woman out, when I didn't ask my boss to do that, when I didn't speak up in a room full of people, when the politician was saying something and everyone's booing him and whatever. And I said to him at the end, I agreed with you. I was 20. I was like 19 years old. He said, great. You should have said so. I regret that to this day that I didn't speak up and say, you whinging, whining complainers here in this room about what he's saying, when what he's saying is, is just fair and equitable, I didn't speak up. So the risk is that on the deathbed, we look back, and I have nearly died a number of times, we look back and say, I wish I had said the truth more. I wish I'd asked for more of what I wanted. Yeah. I wish I'd said I love you more often. I wish I'd gone for that acting gig or that dancing or swimming with dolphins, or I wish I'd actually moved to Costa Rica for six months to see what it was like. I wish. I don't want people to have that, that sensation. I want them to say, I went for it. I tried it. I fell on my face a right. bunch of times, right. and it was absolutely worth it the whole yeah. way through. And there are ways to assess the, the, the level of, risk that you're going into. I mean, if you're yeah. looking at moving to a whole other place, what's your fallback position? If it doesn't work out, do you have somewhere else to go to? You know, those are the types of things. My sister's in the middle of a move right now. And she's like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving this one place. I don't know where I'm going next. I'm in a lot of stress. And then anyway, so she yeah. got that sorted out and she was able to feel better about it, but just being willing to step out and, and try something new. That's the life of adventure. Yeah. You can either decide I'm going to do it and then you can work with someone to mitigate the yeah. risk and make it easier. Or you can work with someone to say, Hey, help me get to a yes yeah. for this. I'm moving to Los Angeles this year uh, to pursue acting. And um, <laughs> it's, it's scary. I got a wonderful house here and I've got a community of people and I'd be uprooting and moving there is scary. And yeah, for sure, there are ways to, to make it a little easier and more fun. I'll do a recon trip. I'll do a recon trip, go out there. I'll probably book a gig. They'll pay me a hundred bucks for the gig. I'll pay 150 for the flight. I'll lose a little money on it. I'll go and I'll look at some places and see how it feels in my system. There are lots of ways. A great coaching question is, what's one thing I'd be willing to do in the direction of this thing? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not willing to quit my job or, or this, or even Great ask question. that person out, but what's one thing I'd be willing to do. I wanted to connect with Alan Alder from MASH for about 25 years. And I was imagining giving a speech. Sometimes I daydream speeches when I'm walking around the house and I was yeah. imagining telling people about this. And I thought, what's one step I'd be willing to do in the direction of connecting with him. I'd be willing to do 20 minutes of research. That's what I'm willing to do. I did 20 minutes of research, found he has a Patreon group where you pay $45 a month to fundraiser for his communication with Science Center. 
And one of the benefits is a Zoom call with him once a month where you get to ask him anything you want. <laughs> and I'm on a Zoom call with 50 people. She said, does anyone have a... <laughs> I was the first one with the arm up and here I am talking with Alan Alda. If you call my cell phone now, you get his voice on my answering machine saying David Wood's not available to come to the phone right now. <laughs> and all of the, I adore him. All of that came out of, no, I'm not saying we're friends, but yeah. all of that came out of what's one thing I'd be willing to do in that direction. And then yeah. sometimes it can snowball. <laughs> I love that, David. Thank you for that. Thank you for all that you've shared. And thank you for revealing here for everyone else to, to model for them what revealing is, because to me, that is, one of the greatest acts of leadership is to model and just walk it and live it and do it and let people experience it. Because my takeaway from that is the, the only way I believe not just the best, the only way to let others know that it's safe for them to do the same. Thank you for so, saying that. Yeah. So thank you for really being a revealer here, David. We always want our guests to have a chance to highlight or promote something. So what is that for you, David? I would say um, if you want to be in my field and get a couple of videos from me a week or listen to my podcast uh, or even download the preview, we've done a trailer for, for Mouse in the Room. Um, I'll give a link for that where you can get all of those things. And if something sparked for you and you're like, I think I'd be interested in coaching with this guy, you either run a business or you're an executive or a leader of some kind, then request a session with me. And I'd be happy to get on the phone with you and see if coaching even makes sense. And you can do all of those things at myfocusgift.com. You can always go to focus.ceo, but you won't find this hidden page on my site unless you go to myfocusgift.com, which will take you straight to that hidden page on my site with a gift basket of goodies. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, David. And that's the website. So what's the best way for people to connect with you? You can, you, there's a form to fill in too um, at, at the site. That's a good way to reach me. And we always wrap up with a question or two in the interest of time. We're going to just do one, one of our favorites, which is movies. <clears throat> Tell us uh, about the movie or the scene or the character that speaks to you about leadership. Yeah, I will. And I just thought of another way to reach me is you can email me at public at focus.ceo comes to me. So that's a way to easier way to reach me. I'm going to tell you a scene I saw recently uh, in Love Actually, the movie Love Actually. And one of the things that I coach and teach on is the concept of dignity. And dignity is simply a place to stand where my voice matters. You don't, you don't have to do what I say but you need to hear me. My voice matters. Simple dignity, very powerful leadership quality. And I was watching in love actually where this guy's in love with his best friend's wife and can't say it. And then finally she works it out that he's in love with her. And he comes to her door, tells her to put on, he puts on some caroling music and he says, say it's carolers. And then he just does, goes through these, uh, these signs. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know what I'm talking about? He keeps on showing these, these signs that he, he's just written these words and he keeps on flipping, flipping them over. And it's basically he just says, I will love you 
until the day we, we die without any agenda or anything. And hopefully by next year, I'll be dating one of these models. Like this is what's going, I'm moving on. I'm just saying this, this is my truth. And it was so, and I said to my friend, that's dignity. That's what we're teaching in the prisons and to, to clients and everything. It was such leadership. It was such power. Mm. And then he walked away and he said, and she ran, she gives him a kiss. And then he says, okay, enough. And he just moved on. So powerful. Wow. I'm going to have to rewatch that. Oh, I've seen it yeah. seven times. I watch it like every second Christmas or maybe every Christmas. Well, I think it's one of the best movies ever made. And uh, if you want to feel good, you want to cry, you want to laugh. I think it's an absolute work of genius. And I need to look up who wrote it and just find out whatever else they've done. Cause it was, it really stood out to me out of everything I've ever seen. But that's the one that had Alan Rickman in it, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, when you say the one, he's probably been in oh, 75, I mean thousand movies but yeah he was uh, he was very good in that well of course all the harry potters but <laughs> yeah so anyway well thank you david thanks for being here and more importantly as i said earlier thank you for the work you're doing in the world but the way you're doing your work in the world yep thank you guys it's a pleasure to meet you both thank you for being here and as our final episode at this point uh jeff and i are going to take a break from this for a while so we appreciate you being here for uh as our last guest for this this season it's a party there it is if you enjoyed this episode please go to your favorite podcasting app rate us give us some comments share some love it helps us to get our message out to more people thank you so much enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.